This is taken from Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 16, and then 36 through 41. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all of these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear, each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others mocking said, They are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promises for you and for your children, and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his words were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, happy Pentecost. Let me be the first to wish you this greeting. Does that sound a little weird? Uh, it does to me. Um, and, and actually, one of the things that, that I have grown... Um, I think you assume that as long as I've been preaching, I've figured it all out. But believe me, it's not even close to that case. But what has been um, fascinating to me as I've really worked through with you this series over the last several weeks is how absolutely crucial Pentecost is. And so we have greetings that say, Happy Christmas which, by the way, from our time in England, we learned that's the preferred way in England to greet people. Happy Christmas. And we say, Happy Easter. Well, why not Happy Pentecost? Because it really is Pentecost that finishes up the, the, the physical coming of Jesus to the earth. It ends his first coming, but it also is the beginning of what leads to his second coming. And 
And as a matter of fact, our gathering here this morning, I mean literally, our gathering this morning is a direct link to what happened on the day of Pentecost that Sarah just read about uh, to, to you about. And so maybe a, a more comfortable way to think about what we celebrate this morning is happy birthday. Happy birthday to us. Um, and, and in fact, I, again, I know we're from all different sorts of traditions as far as church goes, maybe no tradition if you're like me, but uh, this is in fact Pentecost Sunday, uh, and uh, if you come from a Roman Catholic tradition or uh, some others, you, you recognize that. But uh, however you look at it, and as I thought, what do I want to try to accomplish this morning? And it's really one thing. If you walk away this morning saying, you know what? Pentecost is a big deal. If you get nothing else this morning, I'm satisfied. I hope you get more than that. But but really, it is very, very significant. And uh, it allows us, even as uh, Julie was doing earlier, to think more seriously about the work of the Holy Spirit, um, because we do, we celebrate the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and Pentecost in a particular way focuses on the coming of the Holy Spirit. Well, here's what I want to do. The passage itself sort of asks two questions, and I just want to ask those questions with you. Uh, look, for example, at verse 12, and I really do hope you follow. Uh, I don't know what your habit is, but it, it makes so much difference. Uh, difference whether you're using the, the printed copy that you have or an open Bible, and I think an open Bible will be more helpful, but either way, please follow in the text. I, I feel, it's just no substitute for saying, oh yeah, I see that, rather than just hearing it from me. But if you look at verse 12, it says, all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? That's question one. And then Peter Peter preaches a sermon, which we uh, omitted in our reading this morning. But at the end of the sermon, starting in verse 37, if you look ahead, notice the second question. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? So that's really the second thing that I want to talk about. What does this mean? And... So what? What shall we? What shall we do? Okay. Let's first of all. In fact, you can't really talk about what it means unless we're uh, sort of thinking together about what actually happened. So let's review uh, what was what was just read to you in the scripture. In fact, if you've been with us for the last uh, last week in particular, you know that I I kind of tried to connect the dots. That's what we've been doing for the last several weeks from the crucifixion of Jesus to his burial, to his resurrection from the dead. And if you look in uh, chapter 1 of Acts, in verse 3, you really have a timeline established here. To them he presented himself after his suffering by many proofs. Am I getting a feedback? Is it me or this mic? Okay. So to hear this ringing in my ears. But can you guys hear me in the back? Are we okay? Okay. Good. Thanks, Steve. 
But I'm looking at chapter 1 and verse 3 to establish a timeline to make sure we're walking through this together. To them he presented himself, that's Jesus, of course, who's been after his resurrection. To them he presented himself alive after his suffering by many proofs appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. So here's the timeline. He's raised from the dead. Forty days now, he's spending time with his disciples, uh, doing two things. One is reviewing the mission, and uh, you have the Great Commission, go into all the world and make disciples of the nations, uh, proclaim uh, repentance and forgiveness of sin to all the people. Jesus said, as the Father sent me, I'm sending you. Over and over again, the same point comes, as it says in verse Three, speaking about the kingdom of God. That's a great way to emphasize or summarize the mission. But secondly, he teaches them to wait for the coming of the Holy Spirit. Verse 4, and while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, that was John the Baptist. So he's going all the way back to his own baptism, at which point the Holy Spirit came upon him, if you remember that story. The same thing's going to happen to you. You will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And in fact, it wasn't very many days. Um, But first, we read that they uh, went with Christ to the Mount of Olives and they watched him go up. We talked about that last week, what we call the Ascension. And the Bible says, uh, as it says right there in verse 9, he went into a cloud and was gone. So it wasn't just a picture of Jesus going up and up and up and up like a rocket disappearing from sight, but he actually went into a new reality when it says he went into heaven. And then they regathered in Jerusalem itself, and they waited. They prayed together. By this time, according to uh, verse 14, there's about 120 of them. And as they wait, they feel like they need to replace Judas. And so they pray and and select a new apostle called Matthias to replace Judas. But that brings us to the the passage that was read to you just a few moments ago. Look at it again, if you will. When the day of Pentecost arrived. Now that helps us on this timeline. Because the word Pentecost literally means 50. We've already had 40 days of Jesus with his... Uh, disciples, about ten more days then. And the second great feast of the Jewish calendar comes. First you had uh, Passover, and it was hardly an accident that Jesus, the Lamb of God, was slain at the time of Passover. Any more than I think it's any an accident that the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost. Pentecost in the Jewish calendar was a feast celebrating the harvest. The barley harvest had already begun, but there's about five more months in the harvest season. And is it an accident that the Spirit of God comes upon his church? It's not the beginning of the Holy Spirit by any means, but the Spirit comes in a new way upon the people of Jesus because the harvest season has has begun. This is the season when from all the nations, people are going to be gathered in to come and celebrate and worship and follow the Lord Jesus Christ. And friends, you and I are living in that day. The third feast of the Jewish calendar, interestingly enough, they start with the blowing of the trumpets. 
And the, and the return of Christ is associated with the sound of the trumpets. So until the trumpets blow and Christ returns, whatever that's going to look like, you and I are part of God's mission that is bringing the nations under the lordship of Jesus Christ. But look at what actually happens on this day of Pentecost. First of all, the three things are described. Look at the, look at the text again. Suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. So the first signal that something extraordinary is happening is this huge roar. Now we've been hearing about the sound of tornadoes by people who've been uh, eyewitnesses. I wonder if it was something like that. Some huge sound. And, uh, you know, this is in a city just like we're living in. And uh, people hear the sound and boom, you run out your house. What was that? And they look and they see people heading in a certain direction. And they say, I don't know where it was or what it was, but it's over there. And so people start moving, all gathering in that direction. And when they all gathered together, the second thing goes on. And that is, it says, And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. So you hear this sound, then the... the some sort of miraculous uh, uh, vision of, of fire. And, you know, how do you picture that? I don't know. It's just trying to describe for us. It looked like fire coming on their heads. But the most remarkable thing follows, and if you keep reading, verse 4, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, the text goes on to explain that there were people at the feast. You see, this is one of these great feasts that people traveled from all over the world. These were all Jewish people. But they come from various countries that are all listed here. And, of course, they speak their native language, which is Aramaic, the Jewish language. But they also speak the language of, of wherever they're from. And here's at least what I think it looked like. Um, because those of us, most of you have traveled... And you know that if you're somewhere in a, in a very different country and the language is going all over the place, if somebody's speaking English, right, over in a corner of the market somewhere, suddenly your ear picks that up. And Zoom, you want to say, who's speaking English? Or if you're here from another country and English is not your first language and you're sitting in a coffee shop somewhere, and all the English is buzzing on around you. But over in the corner, somebody's talking in Amharic, and you happen to be from Ethiopia, suddenly, boom, that's my people. I know that. And this is kind of what I think was going on. As these people from all over the world were gathering together, uh, they would come into this scene, and kind of there's a cluster of people over here hearing one language, and a cluster of people over here speaking another language, cluster of people over here. And this was a miraculous event that the Spirit, it says, was giving the ability to speak in these foreign languages to the various apostles and, and so forth. I don't know if that's the way it was, but that, that's at least the way I sort of visualize what was going on. Well, the problem is there are a number of people there who were from Jerusalem. They didn't know any of these languages. And so what was their explanation? But you can talk back to me. Yeah, they're drunk. They're drunk. But everybody says what? And, and for some of you, 
And perhaps you're new to this whole discussion and you've never quite seen this passage before, and you say, what is this all about? This is weird. Well, it was weird. (laughs) This was really different. And in fact, they say, and all were amazed, verse 12, we finally get to the question, all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mocking said they are filled with new wine. Well, Peter then stands up. If you follow, just keep going with the text. Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Now, again, he could speak in Aramaic, which was the common language of the Jewish people, and everyone would understand him. So I'm no doubt this was the language he was was speaking in, this kind of tongues, whatever they were, got people's attention. Men of Judah and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these men are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. I love that line. <laughs> well, I suppose it was three o'clock in the afternoon. Uh, I, I hope they doesn't mean they would be drunk if it was later in the afternoon. Nevertheless, he gets he gets their attention. And he gets them thinking about what happens. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. Now that's where the reading that we did earlier ends, but I want to I take it on and just briefly summarize what Peter tried to say, because the prophecy that he read from the Old Testament prophet says this, and in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams, even on my male servant and female servants. In those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. So Peter is simply saying, folks, you have just witnessed what God had planned on from many, many centuries ago, and in fact had even given prophecies to a prophet that this was going to happen. The coming down of the Holy Spirit upon the people, and what it says in verse 17 is that these are the last days. Now understand that in the Bible, once Messiah comes, the last days have begun. And it sometimes preachers can sound very profound. Oh, brethren, we're living in the last days. And that, like, gets our attention. Well, they're right. (laughs) But we've been living in the last days, according to the Bible, since the coming of Jesus. That opened up the age of Messiah. And so the last days will come to an end. But right now we are living in the last days. And what, what was prophesied was that in the last days... When God begins a whole new thing, the age of Messiah, the Holy Spirit would be moving and reigning in a new way that was never the case before. And that's what I just hope you get a a hold of. Uh, That's a whole other discussion of what's different about the Spirit uh, in the New Testament than in the Old Testament and so forth. One explanation I was reading said that really because of the ascension of Jesus, we really can say Christ is now able to be present with all of his church all over the world in the person of the Holy Spirit. And again, that really does bring us to today. 
That's the, the fascinating thing. We today, my brothers and sisters, need to define ourselves as a community of the Holy Spirit. On a mission for Jesus. It's actually the mission of Jesus. Acts begins saying, I wrote about Jesus, of all that Jesus began to do and teach. We're continuing the ongoing work of Jesus. If you want to know what, what God is doing, this is it. He is moving out the kingdom of God in the power of the Holy Spirit, using people like you and me. Because of Pentecost, because of what we just described. Let me sort of uh, pause for just one second. I don't know what your various experiences have been. We come from all different kinds of backgrounds, or no backgrounds, for that matter. But uh, there is a movement of the Christian faith called Pentecostalism. And uh, what the Pentecostal folks teach, and they're wonderful uh, believers, but uh, the Pentecostals say this description here in Acts chapter 2 is a description of what needs to happen to every believer. First, just like the apostles, you believe in Jesus. Then, to finish it out, you have to have a Pentecostal experience. That is, you need a baptism with the Holy Spirit And if you really have have been baptized with the Holy Spirit, you're going to speak in tongues. Now, that's a whole other discussion that that I'm not going to take a lot of time to get into, but except to say I hope you can see from what we've said that this baptism of the Holy Spirit upon the church is not taught as something that needs to happen to every believer. It was a moment of history. It was a fulfillment of a great move of God. You don't repeat Pentecost any more than you repeat the crucifixion or repeat the resurrection. This finishes up the great work that Jesus came to do. And uh, so, I uh, again, I don't know if some of you are troubled by this. Um, It may not affect you at all, but some people I find uh, are deeply bothered by the fact that they really sincerely believe in Jesus, but they've never had this experience called uh, Pentecost that people describe and they feel like somehow they're lacking. Well, what we're lacking is really a deeper sense of dedication and commitment to Christ, but not some Pentecostal experience with all due respect to our brothers. And so interestingly enough, and we're not going to take the time to look into this in in depth, but when you go on in this sermon of Peter, uh, he, he really describes, first of all, the coming... Uh, of, uh, of the Spirit in a way that people will call on the name of the Lord to be saved. Verse 21, and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Some of you may remember a few months ago when I was first introducing myself to you, I, I told you that was the strangest word to me. And if you're not from a church background, um, it sounds... Maybe a little weird, or you know, or you're too cool to think about being saved. That's for the holy rollers, or for somebody else. Well, I, I, you know, here it is. <laughs> and let me say that when the Spirit begins to work in your life and begins to move in your heart and draw you, this word "saved" is not such a bad word after all. And you will come to the place 
where you say, yeah, I need to be saved. I need God to save me. And for some people, that's a very dramatic moment. That was my case. Uh, In fact, it was this very verse that somebody taught me to pray that says, friend, it says, if you call on the name of the Lord, you will be saved. And I would say, oh, okay. I've been wrestling with it for a good while, but I said, thank you. And I prayed. I simply prayed, Lord, I want to be saved. And I believe God heard my prayer and answered me. Others, you know, that being saved is not so dramatic an experience, but it really is a genuine turning of the heart where God moves in the heart. This is what's going on today, friends. God is saving people. The very last verse of of chapter 2, and this is going to kind of be where Dwayne takes you next week. It says, and because right after the coming of the Holy Spirit, the church as we know it today started to be formed. It came together. And the last thing it says is, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. And this is, this is who we are as liberty, a community of the Holy Spirit where people are being saved. Peter goes on in the sermon just so much here, it's hard to kind of pick out what he emphasizes. Let me just point out, and this is where this, the, the reading comes back in that you were, uh, that, that Sarah read to you earlier. Look at verse 36. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him, that is Jesus, both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. So the coming of the Holy Spirit moving among the church results in the lifting up and the exaltation of Jesus Christ. He is Messiah and he is Lord. Which takes us really to the second question that I want to make sure we touch on before we close. Now when they heard this, verse 37, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And here's Peter's answer. And Peter said to them, verse 38, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's not what I would have expected to see. Normally people say, what should I do to be saved? To go back to our language, you would say, you need to repent and believe. You're going in this direction in your life. You need to turn around, and that's what the word repent essentially means, to go in a different direction. Friends, you don't add Jesus to your life. You understand that? You turn to Jesus. That is... With God's help, you say, I'm moving in a new direction, the direction of following Jesus. And of necessity, when I turn to follow Jesus, I'm turning my back on that life of whatever, however you want to describe it, that life away from God that I've been living. And so I turn, and yes, I believe in Jesus. I follow Jesus. But that's not what Peter says, is it? What does he say? Repent and be baptized. Interesting. 
some of you have had bad or negative or sort of nominal experiences with baptism say, no, no, no. And I, I actually read in books, people say, well, Peter said repent and be baptized, but that's not what he meant. Well, why, if he didn't mean it, why did he say it? The fact is, if you and I are going to turn to follow Jesus, it has to be with other people, with the community. And that's really what he's saying. Turn from your sin and not only believe in Jesus, but be tied, identify yourself with those who are following Jesus. With these kind of wacky people who are up here uh, praising, praising Jesus. Say, yeah, I'm one of them. I'm going to associate myself with one of them. That's the sense of being baptized. And in fact, as you can read from the passage, 3,000 people line up and say, yeah, I'm ready. Now, that's a picture of what God is doing, right? They went from 12 down to 11. Then they went to 120, and all of a sudden it's 3,000. And it doesn't, and the, and the church of Jesus has never looked back. It's continued to grow. It's continued to expand. But it's, it's the church. It's the community. It's the people of God. Some of you know, uh, one of the books I've written is called The Walk, which I originally called it Discipleship for Dummies, for people who are just getting started. And chapter one is called What is a Disciple? And I try to be as basic as I can. Chapter two is Do I Have to Go to Church? And what's the simple answer to the question, do I have to go to church? I heard a mixture, which I understand. The answer, my friends, is yes. Now, I don't mean just show up on Sunday morning, obviously. But I'm saying to you, if you and I are going to be part of this new, mighty movement that God is starting, you can't do it by yourself. You do it together. You do it in the community and in fellowship. And when Dwayne picks this up next week, you're going to see that's exactly where this whole thing goes. That as the Holy Spirit has come upon the people, a new kind of church is formed. And I want to encourage you to commit yourself on an even deeper level to the life and fellowship of this community. And you, in, in turn, will be blessed and encouraged and helped to grow. And if you're struggling, I want to follow Jesus, but you know, it's just not working. I keep messing up. I keep blowing it. Ask yourself, am I trying to do it on my own? And you may pray. You may say, God, help me. But that's not what God intended. And so when he said, repent and be baptized, he's saying, publicly Identify yourself with this community of people. And just one other thought that I, I don't want to neglect before we finish. Because verse 39 of the passage says, For the promise, he says, come and join with the people. This is where the Holy Spirit lives in coming to be part of the church, you're going to get the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God will call to himself. 
Right from the very beginning, we need to recognize that God said, this is for you and for your children. This excessive individualism that we assume is just part of the way you live because we're Americans, is just not found in the Bible. And when you talk about what God's promise is, is for you and for your children. And just to remind ourselves, not all of you have children. Lord willing, most of you will at some point. Many of you have been blessed by being raised by Christian parents, right? And you have simply been given this heritage. Some of you can't say, well, you know, I don't know when I was saved because I was part of a saved family. Well, I think that's the way it's supposed to be. And and in the process of reaffirming our commitment to the community of believers, we also recommit ourselves to raising our children up to follow Christ. As some have prayed often that they never know a day when Jesus wasn't the Lord and Savior in their lives. But Liberty, happy birthday. We celebrate this morning a reminder that we have been brought into being by the grace and power of the Holy Spirit working among us. Let's celebrate that. Let's rejoice and renew Because you do see the Holy Spirit has come, but then there's a continual refilling and renewing in the Spirit. And we need that every week, which we will enjoy now as we come to the communion table. Shall we pray? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, this mystery of God made known to us in in a baby named Jesus, who is now exalted to the highest place, and who poured out the Holy Spirit upon his people, upon this church. And Lord, I ask you that we would know more and more, week by week, what it is to be a community of the Holy Spirit, a community where Jesus dwells by his Spirit. Even the passage that was read, earlier by Julie, that we are becoming a dwelling in which God lives by his Spirit. Lord, let that be more and more of a reality. Work among us, we pray, that we in turn would be a blessing and a ministry to this community, to the people around us, to our families, to our places of business, to our schools. Lord, enable us, we pray, for the glory of Christ, our risen and exalted Savior. Amen.